Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every three weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company. For this 34th episode I talked to Darren Chait, co-founder of Hugo, a platform that brings all your meeting notes together in one place and connects them with all the tools you use. Darren and his co-founders started Hugo off as a way to prepare better for meetings, but then found instead that the bigger problem was what happened after the meetings. Today, two years since their pivot, their software is used by great companies like Nike, Dropbox and Twitter. We talk about how having a baby makes you a better founder, the dilemma between raising VC money versus not, how partnerships can boost your business, and why trusting your team makes all the difference. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hi, Darren. It's uh, great to have you on Founder Coffee. Thanks, Jeroen. Great to, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're co-founder of Hugo. For those who don't know yet, what, what does Hugo do exactly? Sure. So Hugo's connected meeting notes software. So centralized searchable meeting notes that connects your meetings to your team and the tools you use every day. Yeah. So how, how, how do we all have to imagine this? Is this uh, what does it exactly solve? What you sure. Yeah. Well, I guess part of the problem is we're working in such a different way, right? Um, if you think back even five years, um, we, today we're working remote a lot of the time or distributed. We're no longer in the same office, in the same country, even the same time zone. Um, we have so many tools. Um, there's like, you can find whatever number you want out there, but you know, we're hearing things like 130 different tools for one company. Um, and the way we make decisions and the way we work at a team is so different. Um, the idea of bottoms up and decentralized decision making, um, it's a really different time. Uh, but the way we meet is no different. Um, we still either have to be in the room or have to be on the call. Um, we come up with action lists, we write notes, and they go nowhere. Um, so yeah. what Hugo does is it takes those meeting notes, the notes that you're writing in your notebook, in your notes app uh, in, in a random document, um, and it shares them with everyone else in the business who should know what happened but wasn't in the room and turns the actions instead of into a bullet point list like they often are today into Jira tickets, Trello cards, syncs with your CRM like Salesflare or Salesforce or whatever, whatever CRM you're using. Um, so all the actions get pushed out to the workflow uh, that, that already exists where the team are and where the work's getting done. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, the, 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 the meeting notes kind of get opened up and they, they are turned into actions instead of being like a disconnected thing. Like exactly. you have something in a Google Doc and then you, you need to start taking points and putting them in other systems. It kind of exactly. uh, makes that much easier then. You got it. Totally. Is, is this something you were uh, facing yourself in another company or how did this exactly come about? So no is is a simple no. answer. Um, I so before before Hugo, I was a corporate lawyer. I worked for a big law firm in Australia, where I'm from, um, mm -hmm. and I, I was definitely frustrated with meetings as a as a big problem. Um, the funny thing about lawyers is actually I was listening to your podcast with Laura from Meet Edgar, uh, Meet Edgar, sorry, and uh, she said something similar. But the funny thing about lawyers is you bill your time, you're changing, you're, you're exchanging hours for for dollars. Um, so when you have one of those meetings we all have that sucks, that's such a waste of time, uh, I would literally see a bill with how much that meeting cost. You walk out of this hour you just wasted and, and see yeah. on, on the screen that was $3,400. 
So it like blew my mind how, how much money was wasted, how, how, what a waste of time it was. Um, so we wanted to solve or, or focus on that problem. And um, a good friend of mine who I'd worked with before was a product guy based in San Francisco already. Um, and we went out to solve that problem. Um, but actually, we, we thought the problem was being prepared for meetings. So we built an app that would help you get prepared. Um, we had this um, crazy AI engine that would prepare briefings on who you're meeting and, and solved in a really different way. We raised a bit of money out of Australia. We, get, we went building in San Francisco um, and everything looked really interesting. Uh, but Josh, my co-founder and I, was spending our days out of the office. We'd go talk to customers, investors, partners, everything we all do all day as founders. And uh, really quickly, the, we, have, we started to run into problems where there was this big disconnect forming between us and the team. Like we'd come back every day and try and uh, update the team on what we learned and what happened and what we thought we needed to do next, but they just couldn't get it. Um, they weren't on the same page as us. Um, so someone had an idea to build this Slack plugin that would integrate with our calendar and ping us every time um, we had a meeting and say, hey, you just spoke to Yeroen, what, what happened? Um, mm-hmm. And I'd reply on Slack and say, good chat. He had this bit of feedback, this idea, this insight. And it would share it with the team in another Slack channel. And then we'd come back to the office and it was like the whole t- company was in every meeting. They would already start coming up with new designs, fixing bugs, doing things from that meeting before we'd even walked it back into the office. Yeah. Um, so we as a company were doing really cool things. We were moving that much quicker. Everyone was on the same page, engaged. Um, and then when we were talking to our customers, they were more excited about what we were doing as a business than what we were trying to sell. Um, so usual pivot story. And that's how Hugo became Hugo. Yeah. That's a that's a really cool story, actually. The the the, um, the thing about like reminders to add meeting notes, uh, something we added in Salesforce as well. Yeah, but I can see how Hugo is like a a few steps beyond that. That actually then then uh, kind of transforms that into actions as well. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Really, it's important. So so in a in a previous job, you were a corporate lawyer. You said yeah. You don't hate me. Everybody hated you? Or what are you saying? <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, you know, the reputation of lawyers, they, they cost you lots of money and yeah. sometimes sometimes don't add value. Uh, sometimes they're useful. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 so this was your f- very first startup uh, or, or have you been into kind of uh, your projects before as well? Yeah. Like have you so, done other stuff? It was a good lesson. I think I made, uh, I wouldn't say a mistake. I, had, I learned a lot from that and I'm happy I had that experience. But I, I am an entrepreneur and I really believe people are either wired that way or they're not. Um, I, I am wired that way. And even growing up through college and even before that, I was always building businesses. I, um, I, you know, I, I, the first thing I did was I, I started a mobile DJ business with a friend. And we literally DJed at thousands of weddings and, and bar mitzvahs and parties, like thousands. We, we couldn't scale quick enough. Um, you know, we didn't know what to do with, with all the bookings coming in and we were just choosing our favorite ones and um, mm-hmm. hiring people to, to, you know, and trying to train them to, to sell the same product. Um, and that turned into a pretty big business for a bunch of school kids. Um, you know, when we were, when I went and bought a car and then we were putting, you know, a little bit of money into property and all these things that... Um, at the time were really, really exciting. Um, and 
I just, there was something really awesome about building something from nothing or turning a little bit of money and, and, and multiplying it and seeing your product in the real world. Um, so I, I had that, I had definitely had that itch. Um, yeah. I went to, I went to college and I didn't know what to study. I was interested in lots of things, medicine and law and obviously business. And in Australia, we study, um, like these degrees undergrad. It's not like the U S so um, straight out of high school at 18, you have to decide what you want to be. And Australia is a very conservative, risk-averse place. You don't really, you can't, especially, you know, then in the uh, mid-2000s, you can't really be an entrepreneur. Um, you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, an architect, a, a, you know, a social worker, whatever, whatever your job is. And all my friends were studying law. And I thought, this is kind of cool. So I just enrolled and started doing law and it's for five years. And then, you know, when you're studying law, the big law firms come along at the end of university and they, and you apply and get a job. And I just sort of found myself on that train, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, I sort of looked back three years later and I said, what, what happened? I, I didn't agree to this. <laughs> I just yeah. felt like I ended up on this train that kept moving. And, and that's when I, I, you know, sort of said, hang on, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, and, and jumped off the train to, to start Hugo. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a story I, I've heard a few times already on the podcast, uh, and it tends to happen uh, with with law quite often. Yeah, um, yeah, I suppose it's one of these studies that you uh, uh, that you 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 choose when you have a bit more ambition. I mean, there's like for instance, um, I remember discussing this very same topic with Patrick Campbell of Profitwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there were people before that as well. Um, yeah, I've actually had a similar conversation with PC before. Um, I agree. I think it's um, it's a big deal. Also, you know, for, especially for some of my American friends, you spend a lot of money on college. So you, you've gone and made this big investment. Even if you have the desire to go and build something, you're thinking, oh, man, I've just spent thousands of dollars getting a law degree. How can I go and waste that and throw it away? Um, <laughs> The other way of looking at it is, well, if, you know, what's the opportunity cost? What's the value of doing what, something you don't want to do? Um, so I think that's interesting. But look, I think it's getting better as well because building a business, entrepreneurship, working in product, all these things are now really great like careers. Um, so you know, I meet people all the time now who are finishing college or finishing high school who want to be building business, who want to work in tech. Um, and, and, and that's as good, if not a better career than law. So I think it's normalizing. I think it's an old-fashioned way of thinking, um, what, what, the way I was thinking. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you were uh, building Hugo in a sort of different way before. When, when was it that you guys started with Hugo? So we started Hugo um, the first way in 2015. Um, and mm -hmm. in 2017, we, we sort of made that pivot and Hugo became Hugo. Um, so we're about two, year, two, two and a bit years old now. Um, you know, we essentially restarted the business. We called it the same company. We like the name, but it was essentially starting from scratch. Yeah. So you're four years at it, but this, the, the last two years were really like the Hugo that, that it is now. That's right. Exactly. And, and, and where do you see yourself taking Hugo on the long term? Like, is it going to go beyond what it is now and, and, and how? Yeah, so we we see meetings as sort of the final frontier of collaboration. Um, it's an area where there hasn't been a lot of innovation, um, other than of course video conferencing like Zoom. Um, so that the opportunity for us is is, is big. Um, 
we, we want to be a product that every company picks up alongside the rest of their core stack. So when you set up Salesflare, you went and found your chat app. You went and found Google Suite or Office 365 to power mail and calendar. Um, you went and found your CRM, obviously. Um, so we, we, we want you to immediately turn and think, hang on, what are we doing with our meetings? Um, where are all these meeting insights? Where's the meeting workflow managed? So that's that, that's where Hugo wants to be. Um, we have an interesting opportunity now, I think, uh, with the way teams are changing. So normally when you think about B2B software and you think about a team or the company as your customer, you think about everyone in the same office or on the same domain name working in the same business. But what we're learning is that a team now means something really different. A team means um, you know, three full-timers, four contractors, an agency, and that random guy who comes in on Wednesdays to help us with SEO, um, who, you know, who works for other clients too. Mm-hmm. So you have to collaborate with all of them um, the same way that you do with your full-time team. So I think that the changing definition of collaboration gives us an opportunity. And uh, that's something we're very focused on now. How do we collaborate around meetings with our partners and, and contractors and agency customers and things like that? Um, and that's that's where we're heading now. Yeah. How, how do you see that evolving product-wise in the longer term? Yeah. I mean, the simple way it's evolving product-wise is uh, allowing sort of intercompany collaboration. Um, if, even if you look at what Slack's done, we use the Slack shared channels all the time. So I can go and send a Slack message to my co-founder, but I can as easily go and Slack um, our PR agency, um, our partnership contacts at Atlassian, um, you know, all using Slack, but Slack originally was a team communication product. So um, we're taking Hugo that way too, um, to be to be transparent. Um, we're going to release um, a whole bunch of features to allow meeting collaboration between companies as well. Um, so that's one. Um, and, I, and I think more generally, uh, trying to build in best practice for meetings. So it's sort of best practice meeting workflow out of the box. We, we will help you use meetings as a force for company alignment, for sharing insights, for building a customer-centric company, building in as many features as we can um, to, to, to help, uh, help you become a really great meeting company. Mm-hmm. I, I hear you mentioning Slack quite often. Is this the, <laughs> a company you're inspired by uh, a lot or, or are there other ones perhaps? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, definitely inspired by Slack. Um, I think Slack is the modern-day bottoms-up um, Mm-hmm. You know, uh, poster child uh, example. Um, they they they've just absolutely cracked the idea of selling B two B software um, from from the bottom to the consumers, if you like, in the business. And that's something we're inspired by. Uh, we absolutely have a similar model there. Um, the other interesting thing about Slack is that they they created a problem in a way. Uh, you know, in, in, if you said to me in two thousand and ten, even uh, you, I'm building a chat app, I'd say, what's wrong with WhatsApp and Skype and uh, you know every other chat app there is, um, but of course we can't operate without Slack now. So the way they've been able to do that is really is really inspiring. It's sort of not what the textbook says, right? Uh, about uh, finding a problem yeah. that already exists and solving it. Um, so it's it's a really remarkable company that we we look to for inspiration quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, are you are you planning to go in a sort of um, bootstrapped way around this, or are you raising money money? Uh, do you yeah. see Hugo becoming a hundred million dollar company then? Yeah, so um, we 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 raised some money originally out of Australia, um, mm-hmm. sort of friends and family um, type money. We haven't done a big institutional round. It's something we think about and talk about a lot. 
Um, we're, we sort of sit in both camps. Um, and again, you know, I, I think about like Wistia and these incredible companies that are profitable with next to no money raised Atlassian. Um, the problem, so the, the, there's two ways to look at it from our perspective. Um, one, um, raising institutional VC, right, right, raising real capital means um, customer acquisition and competing on the marketing front becomes easier. Our, if our competitors or other people in our space are doing it, it's very hard to not have the cash to, to, to do that, to, to uh, be able to acquire customers using the same channels they are and, and fight for you know, customer acquisition costs. Um, and, and VC helps you do that. The other advantage of VC is you're being backed by people who do this all the time. You know, these funds have invested in many other great B2B SaaS companies and they bring a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's, that's the reasons why it does help and it is important. Having said that, um, Josh and I now, when a lot of the glamour of being a big VC-backed company with, you know, uh, all the vanity metrics has really worn off. You know, when we started... And we'd meet people and building companies. I'd always ask them, how much money have you raised? How, how big is your head count? How many employees do you have? Um, my view has changed so much now. The companies that impress me are the bootstrapped ones, the ones that have small head counts where they, you know, their average revenue per employee is amazing. They're, they're, they're the great companies. So um, mm-hmm. we're, we're definitely not getting caught up in that anymore. Um, I'd love to build a business with, with as few employees as we can where we're really efficient um, and, uh, you know, revenue per, per headcount is great. Um, and we don't, we haven't given away, you know, 75% of the company. So yeah. not sure at the moment how, what we'll do in the future. Yeah. So it's still an outstanding decision kind of, or keeping options open at least. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, how many are you currently? Eight. Eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're the COO? Yeah. Um, with the way we split things uh, between my co-founder and I uh, mm-hmm. is it's it's sort of fifty fifty operationally day to day. So I uh, I look after the growth side of the company, growth, mm-hmm. business development, business operations, etc. And he's product and engineering um, essentially. Yeah, that kind of works. Um, works well. So what is it like uh, that you do in a day? How does your day currently yeah. look like? Um, so it's a real mix, like all of us. Um, I'm, uh, I'm at the moment. Um, I'm very focused on obviously growth. I mean, you, we all we all are all the time, but um, very specific uh, problems or opportunities. Um, so I'm looking a lot right now at uh, typical customer acquisition challenges, the channels that work for us, finding those repeatable, predictable, scalable channels, um, but also activation. Um, activation is always something that we need to focus on because. We are selling a product, yes, but we're also selling a new way of doing things. Yeah. So we have a big mm-hmm. education overhead. We use video heavily. We, we use a lot of content. We're really trying to educate you on a new way of doing things. So, so I spent a lot of time deep in that, um, in running tests, user interviews, uh, trying new things. Um, and the other thing I spent a lot of my time on is um, automation. So we're a marketing-led company. We don't have a sales team. So all of our acquisition has to come through those channels. And uh, I, I, I'm personally really excited about the no-code movement. Um, we have like hundreds of zaps set up. We use Webflow for our website, a lot of our landing pages. Um, I, I'm big into data. We use Segment um, to funnel data through from, from, uh, from our product and website into all the other different tools we use. So I've become a little technical in that sense. I can do a lot myself without relying on engineering to run experiments to test things 
um, and to and to make changes to to our staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what what is it that you spend most of your time on right now? Um, so most of the time right now is uh, writing. I write a bunch um, partnerships, so developing partnerships um, with other great SaaS companies where there's integration opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, specking that out, I'm working on co-marketing campaigns. Um, I spend uh, a fair bit of time on the PR front. Um, we just released a book, which I can talk about in a second, which is, which is really cool. Um, well, I think so anyway. Um, so I've been on a bit of a mini book tour, talking a lot about the book and, uh, and uh, speaking at conferences and events there. Um, so it's, it's, it's those things. And then the normal sort of marketing things, writing content, website updates. Um, we're experimenting with some paid ad channels, although it's never been a real big proportion of our growth. Um, so a real mix of growth and marketing things. Yeah. What's, what's, uh, most promising right now of all these things? Good question. <laughs> um, de- definitely, uh, I- I'd say definitely the partnerships piece. Um, that for us has been really interesting because, uh, partnerships is something that I think is a bit of a dirty word in, in, in many SaaS companies or BB companies rather. Um, you know, we don't, when I say partnerships, I don't mean channel partnerships, no one's selling Hugo, but Hugo. Um, but we have an interesting opportunity with Hugo. Uh, Hugo integrates with more than 20 tools. Um, that's part of our value prop, right? As we, as we spoke about at the beginning. So that means there's more than 20 great companies, a lot of them who are bigger than us. Um, who we add value to their product and they add value to ours. So typically, these companies don't just go and market your business, but with a lot of them, we share uh, like a passion, a vision, um, an interest, uh, uh, even part of a value proposition. Um, and that means there's co-marketing opportunities. So for example, we, we do a lot with Atlassian. We've put out a white paper on, on gender equity and the, and the impact that SaaS tools can have on gender equity at work. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've done webinars with Freshworks. Um, we've, we, we've put out content with Slack. Um, the book we just wrote, Eric Ewan, the CEO of Zoom, uh, wrote the forward and put a quote on the front because we share so many, you know, so many ideas around team culture core to our company. Um, so that for us, I think is a really interesting growth channel and opportunity that's been paying off and something we keep investing in. You see it paying off? Do you see like a lot of trials coming from there? Or? Yeah, yeah. A lot of our traffic comes from that content or those their websites or marketplaces. Yeah. So basically, people read your article on someone else's site and then and then come check you out and you they they sign up. Exactly, and it's not even the the click or the traffic; it's the quality. Because if you read a if if you read a bit of content um, on and on on you know Atlassian's website. Um, that, that, that we've written or we've written together or a mm-hmm. white paper we've released, not only is there that backlink that you're coming to, but you're thinking, wow, these guys are le- legitimate. You know, they, they're doing the stuff that last year and there must be a really interesting product. Um, so the quality and the perception uh, is, is even better too. Yeah, got it. Something totally different. Uh, as a founder, um, what do you think gives you energy? Like what is the thing that you, you get up in the morning or during the day you feel like, well, I'm working so productively. Which kind of things uh, give you this feeling? Can I say coffee? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm Australian. Apart so. from coffee. I mean, uh, uh, more, uh, less yeah, yeah. transitory, let's say. Yeah, no, I know. I'm just joking. Um, to, for me, that's um, the idea of like the one-to-many thing. So 
what there's no better feeling than waking up in the morning and I've been asleep, completely useless to the world. And you've seen all these customers come in um, through the funnel. Mm-hmm. And the idea that I can create value without working is really cool. Um, that inspires me like nothing else. Um, when I say without working, I don't mean without doing any work, but I can create systems, processes, content that keeps working when I'm not. Um, and that for me is unique to our world, uh, to entrepreneurship, even software especially. It's the complete opposite of being a lawyer. As soon as I stop the clock, the, the, the business stops. Mm-hmm. Um, so that inspires me a lot. That gives me energy and keeps me going. So it's, it's building these systems and building these channels and building. Yeah. That keep working without you. Yeah. Talking about coffee. Uh, how many coffees <laughs> do you drink per day? Um, about three. So not a lot. I'm a, it's a bit like the Europeans or some parts of Europe, right? Um, Australians are a bit snobby with their coffee. You know, they, we drink espresso. It's got to be really well, well made. Um, and, uh, I've got to be careful what I say here because maybe I'll get deported. But Americans, uh, Americans don't get it. <laughs> you know, we, 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 we drink like uh, uh, here in the States, Starbucks is the biggest, like the biggest seller of coffee. In Australia, Starbucks launched and they went out of business. They had to close down. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they, uh, you know, it's, it's a big part of, of, of our life here. Um, so three or so coffees a day. But uh you know what's funny? I love coffee, but I love the culture of coffee. Um, it's awesome that this that, that that that's the name of this podcast because coffee doesn't just mean the you know the, that that liquid that hot liquid that gives you caffeine and energy. It means a relationship. It means the type of conversation we're going to have. Like mm-hmm. if this was called um, founder interviews, I'd be sitting here with my with questions pre written. Um, it's, you know, found the coffee, we just connected on and we had a laugh and we're just chatting about life and building a business. And uh, for me, that, that, that means something so different. And that's why I love coffee as well. It's true. It's very true. And in some countries, it might be founder tea. <laughs> yeah, in the UK, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're Belgian. I thought it was going to be founder beer, but it's 8 a.m. in San Francisco. <laughs> so I thought it's a bit weird. Well, we, we connect over coffee as well. Okay, um, fine, yeah. fine. Different parts of the day, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Or um, some of the the Russian uh, the Russian people we work with will be found a vodka. I'll be having a shot vodka, vodka at eight a.m. Yeah, I like it. So it could be founder hot drink or founder alcoholic drink if you want to yeah. make it very, uh, <laughs> generalistic, like people want to make it nowadays. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I do not assume type of uh, drink. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Can't discriminate. <laughs> Uh, how do you exactly um, manage your your work life balance? It seems like you're working a lot, um, but how do you keep that all in, in check? Yeah, um, so I'm. It's really interesting that that topic again. I uh, you know I mentioned before I got to listen to the great podcast you had with Laura from Meet Edgar, and she's obviously very unique um, in what she's done with her business and really mm-hmm. impressive and inspiring. Um, my life couldn't be more different to that. Um, so firstly, the idea of work-life balance um, is now becoming less of an, uh, a well-accepted idea because people say that, well, work-life balance means they have to be at odds with each other. You know, the pendulum has to swing from work and then pulling you towards life and then pulling you back to work. Um, and that's really, really hard. Um, I had a baby nine months, well, my wife had a baby nine months ago. I, I didn't, but we had a baby, um, <laughs> you know, uh, less than a year ago. Um, 
And, and, you know, you'd think that that's really difficult as a, as a founder. I mean, I already have a baby, the business um, that's taking so much time and, and focus. And to be honest, it's really worked well um, because the way I deal with things is everything's fluid. Um, my focus in, like, in life, my focus right now at this stage of my career is my family and my business um, and obviously friends and things come around that. Um, they can be intertwined heavily. So I, you know, I try to get home now for, uh, for, for to have dinner and, 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 and help bath my daughter and that. And then I'll go and do some stuff after dinner or, um, you know, we'll, we'll go away for the weekend and I'll take Friday off to have a long weekend up in Napa, or, you know, just near San Francisco or something like that. And I'll take Friday off and spend great time with them. And then I'll do a bit of work on the weekend when she's asleep. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I think the old fashioned way of thinking of time for work and time for life doesn't make sense anymore. I think if you're focused on, on, on work and you're focused on, on family and, and life, you, you just make it work and, they, and they're intertwined. They're not fighting with each other. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think that's just what it takes. Um, in, you know, if that's important to you and you want to build a business and you're willing to put in the hours, um, you, have, you do what it takes. Yeah. So you're saying uh, having the baby did not change much in the way you you manage your time, or or kind of it changed the way you allocate your time a bit, but it didn't uh, make things more difficult. Or... It made things easier, um, to yep. be honest. It, it gave me more perspective. I, I think it's very dangerous, uh, for, especially for young founders without a lot of life experience, where mm-hmm. your your business can just take over. Where that that's why you live. That's why you get out of bed seven days a week. And uh, the problem with that is it gets tiring, you burn out, there's those problems. But also you don't get any clear-headed time. If you're just living and breathing your business on the weekend, wherever you go, always on your mind, you can't think clearly, you, creatively outside the box. So um, having a baby means I go home. Firstly, someone's excited to see me now when I get home and I've got something else happening in my life that's really great. And um, you know, there's great disconnect time. Uh, but it also means my mind can actually move between different things now. I can switch off even while I'm playing with her or bathing her or doing whatever it is. Um, and then when I come back 30 minutes later, an hour later, I've had a mental break. I've got some other things in my life that are, that are keeping me busy, that are getting me out of bed. Um, and I think it's made me a better, a better founder, a better executive uh, because of that. That's nice. So best advice for founders, go and make babies. Get a baby. Get a baby. I'll go work on that. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking outside your current box a bit, uh, if you would sell Hugo for a ton of money and you could spend your life the way you wanted, what would you do? (laughs) Um, I, I would, I would, I would do something a little different, but not a lot different. Um, I, I think, in general, founders always have to think long term. I mean, you asked me before, can Hugo be a hundred million dollar business and, and all of that? You definitely need to think about those things. But unfortunately, the practicality is you always have to make some short-term decisions because you have to pay rent, you have to put food on the table, you have to survive right now. If I could not worry about those short-term decisions, I would still be a founder, I would still be building something awesome. Um, but I think I could make slightly different decisions by only thinking long term. So what I mean is there's some really interesting tech out there. There's some really interesting problems to be solved that you can only do without worrying about short-term stuff. So, you know, the emerging technologies, AR, VR, driverless 
vehicles, like all these things are really interesting areas. Uh, hardware as a business is really cool. I'm really excited to get into. But you can't, it, there's a huge, long, long, long road to profitability. So um, I think that having a bit of comfort now would mean I can think more long-term and, and, and uh, you know, found my next company um, doing something without worrying about immediate sort of survival, which is really cool. Yeah. Got it. Wrapping up slowly. Um, what's the latest good book you have read and why did you choose to read it? Yeah. So I only read nonfiction. Um, sounds mm -hmm. a bit nerdy, um, but I, I find it more relatable. Um, my co-founder is a serious like sci-fi fan. He, he pays me out all the time about it. Like I couldn't think of anything worse than reading fantasy or sci-fi uh, just because it doesn't feel real. Whereas people Uh, sharing stories and, and, and talking about their, their life and what happened to them, I find really inspiring. Um, I'm, I've been very fascinated lately while we've been writing our book called 10X Culture on, on teams that have uh, really, done, you know, really managed to crack that code. Um, and one really great book that I recently read is called Team of Teams. Um, Team of Teams is by a guy named General Stanley McChrystal, um, and it tells a story about um, through he, he's a military, a military senior military guy in the U.S. and um, he led some pretty incredible teams through recent sort of war and uh, and, and military activity in the last 15 years or so, um, and it's been a pretty pretty incredible sort of uh, uh, bunch of stories and and inspiration for us in building our team and the way we do things. Um, there's a lot of parallel and, you know, taking a team to war and the conflict and trying to, trying to keep everyone motivated and aligned, obviously to a lesser degree of importance, I know, but uh, it's really been helpful for us in framing the way we think about teams at Hugo. So I, I really loved reading that. Yeah. Just added to my good yeah, reads. Totally. De definitely worth it. I mean, crazy stuff obviously goes down there and uh, it, it does give you nice perspective too about life and death and the decisions you make, but um, yeah. full of really cool ideas that I just literally took back to the team, took back to things I do every day. Cool. Is there anything you wish you would have known when you started out with Hugo? Lots. <laughs> um, so one... One thing I think, yeah, one, one thing in particular, um, and maybe, maybe it's due to my background coming from the corporate world, but we obviously what you do as a founder is you go and hire good people. Everyone knows that. You have to surround yourself with a great team who help you get somewhere. But we always had this feeling that it was our job to insulate or to protect the team from the real problems and come to the team with solutions for them to, to implement, to execute yeah. on. So we took a lot of the a lot of the challenge on their behalf and then tried to come up with all the answers ourselves. Um, that's a mistake um, in retrospect. We learned very quickly that doing that, firstly, you take on a lot of pressure and responsibility more than you need to, which is very difficult, very tiring. Um, but also, it means that you um, aren't using the brains that you've hired. I mean, we've gone and spent all this time and money getting great people in the mm -hmm. room and we're not even letting them solve the problems we've got. So it, it, we sort of learned over time that if we can make our problems the team's problems, one, they're happier. They want to solve problems. That, that's why they do what they do. Um, and you get better answers. You get better solutions because you've got all these really smart people in the room looking for ways to, to help fix these problems. So um, using our team in a much better way is something I wish I knew earlier. Um, maybe it wouldn't have taken us so long to pivot or, or to learn um, some of the things we learned and we would be further along or in a different place now. Yeah. 
that makes a lot of sense and 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 i think a lot of um people leading a company or a team in general uh kind of make that mistake 100 percent, exactly exactly final question uh what's the best piece of business advice you have ever got <laughs> best piece of business advice i've ever got first thing that pops to your mind um you know it's it, it's it's funny it's a bit of a joke um something that um, my co-founder says all the time um but it, it, if it was easy someone else would have done it um i, I think mm-hmm. i i think we often when we look at the challenge of building businesses we we often obviously only see the glamour, you know, we call it the tech crunch effect internally where overnight this $50 million company pops up and they've just raised $20 million at an insane valuation. And Oh my God. Right. It's so easy. Um, what people who haven't done it before don't know are the years and sleepless nights and, and, and mistakes and everything that happens underwater. Um, and, and you know that too, obviously as a founder of a mm-hmm. successful company yourself. Um, so, uh, what that means is, some of the challenges that we're trying to deal with, um, you feel like they're pointless, you know, like even bits about product stack and some of the technical challenges we've solved. We think like, why are we doing this? This isn't going to help. It's not, no one cares about this stuff. Um, but that is the hard bit. You only get the appreciation or the acknowledgement of the TechCrunch article once it's out there and your numbers are amazing or whatever else. But the hard work is the bit that people are never going to know about or care about. Um, so the fact that um, if 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 all if that all of that didn't exist, um, everyone would be building these sorts of businesses, and then they wouldn't be as successful as they are. So um, I, I guess you have to remember that the 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 bit that creates value, the bit that makes you successful and your business successful, is the underwater stuff that no one is ever going to care about or credit for you for eventually. Cool. Thank you, Darren. Again, uh, for being on Founder Coffee. It was Thanks, really Thanks for having me. You. It was a, lo- a lot of fun. Really enjoyed the chat. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.